0: Ion 2020, episode 18. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me on Ion 2020. This is your host Ray Eaton. I appreciate you coming out and listening to me today, Uh, tuning in your ears to all of the news and updates regarding this 2020 election that is coming up, uh, not too soon, but it's it's getting there, right? I mean, it's January 2019, and we're about a year out now from the uh, the primaries that are going on, starting off in Iowa and then moving forward. I well. I do appreciate you uh, tuning in and listening to uh, what I got to say today regarding the 2020 election and uh, helping you keep your eyes clear and your vision 2020 with regards to this election that's coming up soon. I I really do appreciate all of you that are listening on a daily basis now. It seems like I'm getting lots and lots more people that are listening and uh, it shows that people are interested in what's going to be going on. And we're taking a libertarian perspective here as well. And that's something that I haven't. I really haven't heard any shows lately that are specifically based upon election results from a tw- or for the 2020 election um, <clears throat> from a libertarian perspective. And that's what, how I'm taking my taking this podcast in a libertarian direction now. Uh, I'm going to start critiquing these candidates from that libertarian direction as well on how statist they are, how far they're going to uh, take this. You know, take their statism and you know all their policies and so forth that they have, whether they're good, bad, if I'm indifferent to them and so forth. And um, I'm just really excited. I really am. Uh, if you are listening, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button now. If you can, I certainly would appreciate it. And that'll put me into your podcatcher every single day as I put out a new show. Monday through Friday, and that's what I'm trying to do, is work on this so that I'm going to be putting out a new show every Monday through Friday for you. It's really important in my mind to make sure that I'm doing that on a consistent basis, and you know, there might be a few days here and there where there's just no news, and I may not put something out then, or if I go on vacation with my family, uh, I'm. my goal is I'm going to start planning, though. If I do end up going out of town for a week, I'll just go ahead and put together five episodes for you and try to drop those throughout that week as well, because I think that's important. Uh, stay consistent. Keep this message going, because I would like to bring more people towards a libertarian perspective on things. And if I can put these put these ideas out there when I'm looking at these candidates and critique them from a libertarian perspective, I think that maybe some of you might hear those things and think to yourself, "Huh, maybe maybe this guy has a little bit of credence and a little bit of credibility going." with regards to these uh, libertarian ideas. <clears throat> if you're not a libertarian, go ahead, and, go ahead and look into what libertarians believe in. But I think the very basis of it is this, because a lot of people get confused. They think, oh yeah, these libertarians, you know, they're just for good pot smoking and uh, leave me alone and I don't want to be bothered and so forth. That's what, A lot of people say that. That's what they think about the libertarian party. And, you know, there are a lot of libertarians that are like that, right? They just, you know, they're into the... Pot smoking and uh, and so forth, but but most of the ones that I've heard recently, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of very there's a lot of libertarians out there that are very uh, academic, I guess you'd say, where they're putting out some very good academic articles. That's always been the case, though, since Lysander Spooner back in the 1800s. Uh, You have Murray Rothbard, Ludwig von Mises. Uh, multiple people throughout time you have Tom Woods nowadays he puts out lots of books that are from a libertarian perspective as well and you have you know well I mean and you have the Mises Institute you have Cato you know a little bit softer libertarian group right there but you know these different think tanks and so forth there's a lot of them out there and they are putting together really good uh, media information for you with you know not just spinning it towards a you know, let's legalize pot perspective, but hey, let's get rid of government perspective. Let's limit our government. Let's, let's know the value of a limited government because I heard this today and it was one of the most interesting things I ever heard actually about it because it says the tighter the t- the, with, with the people, the tighter the government puts its grip around the people, right, um, the, the more that, which using that metaphor the tighter, the tighter the government puts a grip around the people, which is just saying, you know, the more laws it passes, the more it tries to control the people, the more sand slips between its fingers, right? So it forces, even though it's trying to tighten that grip, the sand's going to slip between their fingers. And what this person was specifically talking about was black markets and so forth. So if they make <clears throat> if they make uh, alcohol illegal, illegal like they did during Prohibition, they put they tried to tighten their grip on that alcohol, on the alcohol sales, and it's and more and more slipped between his fingers and then it became a black market for, for alcohol. And then you get the crime and the rampant um you know, murders and so forth, the crime bosses that are in charge of the alcohol trade. You get those people that rise up in that scenario. So if the government tries to put its grip on anything, you end up having more slip through those fingers the tighter it gets and you know to me that that was that's a good perspective but what i'm getting at is there is a lot there are a lot of issues that libertarians have beyond just the what a lot of people say is you know the the marijuana legalization and so forth those are things that you know look into it if you're not a libertarian look into it because there's there's lots of good information out there I recommend going straight over to Mises.org. There's lots of good libertarian podcasts out there as well. You have, um, if you like a little bit more humor and more fun, you can listen to Dave Smith's podcast. If you like something a little bit more serious and uh, lots of good meat to it, you could, you know, tune into Tom Woods every day as well. You have Ron Paul's Liberty Report. Very solid guy. Uh, obviously, we all know him as the uh, congressman from Texas. That was in the Congress for you know well over 20 years, I believe, and he was a very libertarian-leaning congressman. They used to call him Doctor No. He was a uh, he was actually a uh, a pediatrician, and he delivered m- multiple babies when he was uh, when he was a doctor, like uh, thousands of babies. They say the nearly the entire town that he lived in in Texas was delivered by him at some point, right? So this guy, I mean, he but he's a solid libertarian a very good uh, austrian economist or not he's not an economist per se but he follows the Austri- austrian school of economics which says that you know i mean the the basis of or one of the is, i guess to to dumb it down completely is that um that you know the government having control over the economy causes the booms and bust cycles that we have So uh, look into look into some libertarian or some uh, Austrian school economics as well. Austrian economics is not from Austria; it's not some school out in Austria. But a lot of the founders, I guess, were from Austria that started the whole thinking around this movement. And uh, a lot of these guys they came over to America, and that's you know it's they they really put out a lot of really good material as well. So. Go ahead and look into that, but if you're following the podcast, I appreciate you listening. Like I said, um, I'm really excited to bring you some good news or good information today as well. And let's go ahead and dive right in because I, I found an article. It's in Time Magazine, and it's um, it says the it says the Republican Party's best hope for 2020 the left's indignation. So, what the article? highlights this is by michael ashcroft on january 23rd 2019 and uh it says this past weekend marked the midway point between the last presidential inauguration and the and the next one the contours of the race to decide who gets to deliver the next inaugural address are already beginning to emerge and it and it promises to be no less spectacular than the last one that's what i've been saying if 2016 is anything or 2020 is anything like 2016 we're in for a treat And uh, I think on the Democratic side, you are getting a lot of people lining up right now. So he says, going on, My research over the last two years, including a survey of 15,000 people conducted after November's midterm elections, gives some clues as to how the battle might unfold. President Trump's base remains as happy as it was on the night of his victory. Supporters point to a thriving economy stoked by tax cuts and deregulation, two conservative Supreme Court appointments, a combative approach to international affairs and global trade deals, and a tough line on immigration and border security. His base loves all that stuff, right? I know a lot of people that are very big Trump supporters. They wear the MAGA hats the whole nine yards, and yes, they do say that. So... So here it goes on and it says, But with a confrontational tone of Trump-era politics, it's easy to forget that not everyone falls into one of those two camps. Sorry, I, I totally skipped over a little bit and I'd like to back up a little bit. Okay, so he also says that there's another camp and that's the people that are horrified by this presidency. And then he says, But the confrontational tone of Trump-era politics, is e- it's easy to forget that not everyone falls into one of those two camps. Those who picked the president as the lesser of two evils, or switched to him having voted for Obama in 2012, for example, are notably more lukewarm than Trump voters as a whole. So there's the people in the middle, and there's the people that hate him, there's the people that love him, and then there's the people in the middle, right? And it says, it goes on and it says, um... And this is, what I, this is the main point of the article, which I wanted to get at. And I think I brought this up a little bit before, too. He says that um, with all of the people that are extremely hateful of Donald Trump, you have lots of people that are now activists against Donald Trump. And you have lots of young people who, like tons of them, 15% of the electorate, that are like big time against this guy, right? They, using Donald Trump's words, big league, they're big league against this guy. They want him out. Now, that's uh, what the article gets at, is that the huge amount of people that really hate Donald Trump are going to have a lot of control over the Democratic primaries. So he says, Our polling shows the impact their perpetual... Horror at the president's words and deeds is having on their broader political outlook within the most liberal groups since 2016. There have been dramatic falls in the number, numbers thinking life in America is better than it was 30 years ago. So, these people are horrified by what's going on, right? Though they agree very on very little, Fox News militants that's the huge Trump de- uh, supporters. And cosmopolitan activists, who constitute less than a quarter of elect- the electorate between them, share a political zeal and a boundless enthusiasm for voting in their respective parties, primaries. So that means these people are going to vote in their party's primaries. The activist people against Donald Trump, and Donald Trump supporters. So, he says, at this stage, that is not a preference shared by most voters between the polls, let alone those who grudgingly backed Trump in 2016, but are open to an alternative. So, he says, there are people that, are, that grudgingly backed Donald Trump, and they're open to an alternative. While they may be uncomfortable with the incumbent, are those Obama-Trump voters, moderate GOP-leaning subordinates and independents, who could not bring themselves to vote for either candidate last time around, going to turn out for someone the most radical Democrats have chosen in their own image. So, are those voters that are, you know, kind of middle of the road, are they going to vote for that radical Democrat that gets through the primaries? That's the key, right? So, what we're talking about is the Bernie Sanders group, the Acacia cortez group, right? Those people, are they, are, are the people that are voting for that type of candidate a socialist candidate is the middle of the road people that are going to be the voters and that are going to make the decision. Are they going to vote for the lesser of the two evils as Donald Trump or a Bernie Sanders? Or will they go back? Will they vote for Bernie Sanders over Donald Trump? Will they vote for a very socialist candidate over Donald Trump? That's what this guy's talking about, right? That the thing that is the most help to Donald Trump right now is the fact that there's these people that have a lot of zeal against him that are going to choose a very left-wing candidate. So, the final part of it says this. Ironically, then, the right's best hope in 2020 could be the left's reaction to it. That the spiral of indignation that has fueled its activism might drive Democrats to line up behind a candidate platform and message perfectly calibrated to drive uncommitted voters back into the arms of Donald Trump. So they're going to line up for a candidate that's going to drive uncommitted voters back into Donald Trump's arms, and that's the right's best hope. That's that's Donald Trump's best hope for 2020, is that he gets a very left-wing candidate. Now all of the libertarians are terrified of getting a very left-wing candidate. I've heard this before, but for Donald Trump, that's going to be the best thing for him. Libertarians tend to think the worst, like oh god, uh, Bernie Sanders is going to get elected and he's going to take you know social control and pull a Made- Madero from Venezuela thing, where he just uh, they just start. Taking over the economy, taking over the oil fields, taking over this, taking over the healthcare industry, and so forth—that's a libertarian's biggest fear. At least in the world of Donald Trump, he in that you know in that extreme world here, you got the Bernie Sanders who want to take over the entire economy, and a uh, Donald Trump who is sort of hands off with a lot of things, right? I mean, you have to give him slight a bit of credit for that from a libertarian front—that he's hands off with a lot of things. Um he does believe in this border wall idea. He believes that there's a lot of issues that he has that I don't agree with. Um but at least he's good on a few of the economic issues that libertarians tend to be good tend to um be, you know, that libertarians look into. So or that you know that we follow that we want he want we want good economic policy coming out of the White House. So I think that that's going to be Something. I mean, libertarians will look at that in the in the political world and say, well, at least Donald Trump is better than, uh, you know, a Bernie Sanders per se. So they might actually. So those middle of the ground type people that are the independents, the people that just go in and vote for the lesser of two evils, will they at that point say, hey, I'm just going to vote for Donald Trump? I think that that's. I think that this article has a huge case. So the last thing he says is even so they may have to choose between a candidate they can celebrate and a candidate who can win that's saying that the democrats may have to sele you know have to choose between a candidate they could can celebrate or a candidate that can win so do they go for a joe biden i've been saying that for a while though right is that they're going to need to go for a middle of the road candidate because they're going to have to pull those blue collar workers towards them that's going to be very important for the democrats they're going to have to get the they're They're going to have to not have that you know crazy socialist candidate, but I do think that these activist people are going to kind of push for somebody that's more of a a socialist leaning Democrat. That'll be good for Donald Trump, I guess. So anyway, wrapping up that article or wrapping up my thoughts on that article, I just think I thought it was good to bring that to you because it's important to know I mean what what's the strategy behind? What the Democrats are going to do? Are they going to have a strategy going forward for the 2020 election? Right? Are are is the Na- Democratic National Committee going to go ahead and try to push another Hillary type candidate? in? are they going to try to take control over the um, the process that goes forward with all of the states having their um, conventions and so forth? Are they going to are they going to try to do what they did to Bernie Sanders again and push him out and put like a Hillary Clinton or a, um, maybe Elizabeth Warren, they'll try to get her going towards more of a a centrist point of view. Someone that's popular, someone like a Joe Biden, that they can push towards the center, right? Someone that can easily move towards the center. Is that what the, is that what the, um, Democratic National Committee is going to do like they did last time. That's a possibility as well. Just like the Republicans did it back in 2008, when Ron Paul was getting lots and lots of votes, 2012, he was getting lots and lots of votes, and then the, or then the Republicans kind of pushed him out as well. I mean, they wouldn't even give him the time of day. They knew who they wanted. They wanted a Mitt Romney, they wanted a John McCain, and the parties have a lot of power over that stuff, right? Even though the people supposedly speak, I mean, I'm I think it's iffy whether voting is all that important in the first place, because does one vote really count? But even when they say that they're letting the people speak, and then you have what happened to Bernie Sanders last time, uh, so it's—I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's all a hoax in that world, in that way. So that's—I mean, those are my, that's my thoughts on this article. I just thought it was interesting. I wanted to bring it to you because I just thought the way that he presented that. Uh, that the Democrats' biggest problem is going to be who they choose in 2020, and those activists are going to have a lot of sway in what happens in 2020 on who's going to go against Donald Trump. The guy is popular. I mean, that's just the way it is, and the more they push against him, the more they push against him, the more popular he seems to get. Okay, another thing that happened over the uh, last couple days is another... Candidate has jumped into the race, forming an exploratory uh, committee, and he's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Pete Buttigig. Buttergig. I'm trying to pronounce it. I'd love to know how to pronounce this guy's name, but Buttigieg. Um He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He is a um, he's a gay man, LGBTQ community. Uh, they the Victory Fund is. Uh, Saying that's a great thing, that's fine. Uh, I my biggest thing is this: like when I'm thinking about this, he's a mayor of a town in Indiana. Like, I don't I don't rationalize this. Now you had a, the mayor of uh, New York City, you know, one time. He I mean, uh, several mayors I guess have ran for president, but Rudy Giuliani, mayor of New York City, he ran and he was very popular. What was it in 2008? He ran for president, and uh, maybe it was 2012, I'm not sure, but he ran for president, no, it was 2008, he ran for president, and I don't know if you remember this, a lot of you guys might not have been following politics at the time, but in 2008, every other week there was a new person, that was like the most popular person out there to be the president, that was going to be the GOP uh, nominee, right? yeah, McCain one week, Rudy Giuliani the next week, this person next week, that person next week, like, it just changes with the times, just based on what someone says, so Rudy Giuliani was huge, uh, for, like, a week or two, everyone loved him, everyone thought he was gonna be their guy, uh, you know, but a mayor of South Bend, Indiana, like, very little experience, he's a 37-year-old guy, um, not much experience in politics i can imagine i mean that that's old if you're if you're in the if you're in their 20s but you know most of these politicians are in their 50s and 60s but his thing is is he's talking about you know uh, let's move away from the politics of the past and uh, look towards the future that's fine i mean i just wonder how much credibility this guy's gonna have as a mayor of a small town in indiana right there's not much going on there so But in talking up his credentials as a Navy veteran and the mayor of a mid-sized Midwestern city, Buttigieg is seeking to carve out a path to the Democratic nomination in a field that is expected to draw political heavyweights like former Vice President Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. So his ideas is basically that he's going to be the young, cool candidate and over that's fine. Um, he can do what he wants to. He's forming an exploratory committee. he's gonna see how much attention he can get and that's it but he's a mayor okay so he says he's a supporter of the Medicare for all proposal, single-payer health care system that has become a rallying point for progressives. like I said in a couple episodes ago like that's gonna be pretty much what all these Democrats are running on. I'm gonna be doing an episode soon about the platform of these different different uh, candidates and how they can differentiate themselves because literally all of them seem like they're preaching the same gospel, right? They want to give free health care, Medicare for all, free college education, free education or free, you know, pre-K. They want to put more money into schools. They want to... I mean, some a lot of them, they want to start more wars. There's a few that are anti-war. That's great, the ones that are. But there's just... They all seem like they're preaching the same gospel, you know. They they want to nationalize everything, nationalize everything. That's all it is. And how do they differentiate themselves? And I just haven't figured it out. Because if you look at the Elizabeth Warrens, the Kirsten Gillibrands, the Kamala Harris's, the Tulsi Gabbards, you know, all of them have the same things that they're talking about. Medicare for all is like the biggest issue that they all talk about. But how are they, I mean... There's just no differentiation between them. So I'm going to do an episode and I'm going to try to figure out what their differentiations are, how they're going to talk to the public. Because the only one that I've seen that I like what she's saying and focusing her campaign on is Tulsi Gabbard. She has been talking about making the anti-war, pulling away from this foreign intervention, bringing the troops home. She's making that the focus of her campaign. And I love that. I think that that's great. Now I know she's being a Democrat, she's very, has a lot of socialist views and so forth, so those are some challenges I have, but I really think America not going out and killing other people in their countries and doing what they're, you know, doing what they do, I really think is important. That's one of the most important issues out there right now. And uh, so I, I like what she's saying. I like the fact that that's going to be at the forefront of the campaign now. It might force a lot of these other Democrats to do the same. And I said that in the past on another episode. I said that having her, even though she's not going to be a popular candidate, she's just a congresswoman. She probably doesn't have a huge leg to stand on in getting elected. But if she makes it the forefront of her campaign, at least it'll be on the debate stage. And then their Democrats can respond to it. And also, President Trump will be forced to respond to that. And he's been... I wouldn't say the best on this whole issue of foreign intervention, but he has made some positive steps in the right direction. So that's good. Now, this whole idea of Venezuela in the last couple of days and not you know not recognizing their president right now, which, whether you think he's good or bad or not, it does put a lot of political sway into that country. It forces a lot of people or it puts a lot of people in a position where they think that they could stand up to this guy, Madero, because President Trump and the United States will not recognize that government, but they're recognizing another government. So it's going to it really puts us in a position where are we really looking at regime change in Venezuela? So my point is, I'm not happy with his decision on that, I really am not. It's not our decision what to do in Venezuela, none at all. Um, I mean, are we? I, I just think it's a bad issue that that he put us that, that he's gotten us involved in with that. Um, we don't need regime change anymore, we need to pull back. So, though, but at least those things, those issues are going to be at the forefront of the campaign with a Tulsi Gabbard in the campaign with a few other, you know, anti war. Democrats out there as well, so. I uh, but regarding this mayor of South Bend, I I mean he's forming an exploratory committee. That's great. Um, he I think he's probably one of the first gay people in America to run on a national ticket like that, or you know run for president. So that I mean that that could be a good thing for that community as well. But my feeling has always been. I mean, I'm not for identity, identity politics at all. I think that that's wrong. I think it's, uh, I mean, I think it's just a a thing that Democrats and Republicans do in order to say, hey, we're for this group and we're for that group and we're for this group and we're for that group so that they can have more power. And then the news media perpetuates that as well. And I just think that it's, it's, it's the wrong way to go. All it is is tribalism. Everyone fighting for the mighty dollars that the U.S. government can dole out fighting for the power that U.S. government can give them, and so forth, and I just think that it's wrong, so, but I mean, the guy's gay, so that's fine, um, it probably makes a lot of people, a lot. I mean, you have a lot of candidates, so you have the females, you have the minorities, now you have the gay candidate as well, so, um, that's good. I'll do a little bit more information on him as he becomes more of a serious candidate on what his views are on certain issues and give a little critique on those things as well. I think that's important to do for each of these candidates as they come out. So one last thing I wanted to wrap up with is this. So if you're a libertarian or if you're not, I think that uh, when I was, I've told this story before, but if you haven't heard it in the past, uh, that's fine. Or on the previous episode, that's fine, so I'll just go over it really fast. Back in 2008, 2000, or not 2008, sorry, 1998, 1999, I was in college, uh, taking some classes, and I became a, I, I started becoming, leaving towards a libertarian view. And one of the first things that I found was a group called The Advocates. So it's The Advocates for Self-Government, and their website is theadvocates.org. And you can go on that website and it's just, it's a libertarian leaning website and they have what's called the world's smallest political quiz. And you blow through some of these questions and answers like on personal issues, you answer some questions. First question that says, governments should not censor speech, press, media, or internet. Agree, maybe, or disagree. So if you agree, government should not censor speech, press, media, or internet, then you push agree or you could say maybe or disagree. So, and some people might say maybe on that, censor speech. A lot of younger people nowadays seem like they think that the government should censor speech. Some people think that the government should censor the press or the media or even the internet. A lot of people, so that's fine. So let's move it on. Military service should be voluntary. There should be no draft, agree, maybe, or disagree. So you go through all those questions on economic questions, on personal issues and so forth and then when you push calculate my results it'll give you a, li- a, a little triangle that'll kind of show where you're at within the political spectrum and if you fall in the libertarian group then it might be worth looking into it and uh, I, I i ask all of you to go ahead and go to the advocates.org and take that uh, world's smallest political quiz it might be something that can help you kind of see where you're at on the political spectrum and then move from there because there's more than just the left and the right. There's more than just the Democrats and the Republicans when it comes to your voting. And I don't typically vote in elections. I do like to follow the politics of it though. I think it's very fun. It's very interesting to to just follow all the stupidity that it goes on. And that's why I'm doing this podcast, because I just think that it, it I think it's there's a hilarity to it. And I enjoy, I enjoy talking about it with friends. And I, and I just wanted to bring a lot of these things to you and show you a libertarian perspective on these things because, to me, the most important thing we can do is limit our government. Every day, the government is trying to grow bigger and bigger and take over more of your life on every single issue. There's not a single thing that our government is not involved in nowadays from the tires on your car to the airplanes that are flying over your head, to the, to the food that you eat, to the st- things that your kids are taught in school. Everything the federal government has its hands in. And to me, all I want to do is, is, is get people at, or show people a different way and lead them into a way that's going to lead to more um, more self-determination for other people to be self-governors. Govern yourself. I would like... that. You know, that's, that's my goal. That's a libertarian message. It's to learn how to govern yourself, right? Um, learn how to, you know, deal in a world of non-violence, of non-aggression, and all the government is is an aggressive force. They pass a law, and they're willing to use guns to enforce it, whether it's the smallest of laws, up to the tax code, up to sending you off to war. They're going to use aggression if you, if you do not do what They say, and that and most people they just go along with it all. And to me, I'd like to learn. I'd like to start getting the voice out there that there is a different way. There's a libertarian way, and when you go down that rabbit hole, you'll find out a lot of new things that you've never even thought about before. So just take that political quiz. Go to the Advocates for Self Government. It's called theadvocates.org, and you know, show yourself into that or take that test see where you stand and maybe look into libertarian uh, views not the libertarian party per se but libertarian views um and i think that you'll like them if you if you believe that people should be should act towards each other in the non-violent ways in non-aggressive ways that's what libertarians stand for is non-violence non-aggression now you can defend yourself but non-aggression towards others i will not ask I will not aggress on another pe- person, nor will I ask somebody else to aggress on somebody for me to get my way. And that's what that's what libertarians are all about. So, learn if you're a libertarian, and then and then go from there. All right, but keep on following the show, keep on supporting me. Uh, go ahead if you can, subscribe to my show, um, review it if you can. If you're on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave me a review. Give me five stars. Give me one star. I don't care. I just want to make sure that that I'm critiqued in a way that will help me to get better. And I hope that you'll do that. I hope that you'll subscribe. I hope that you'll come back tomorrow and listen in because I am here to help you see the 2020 election clearly with Eye on 2020. Have a great day.